are you in Los Angeles? Um, do you like ice cream? Yeah, I knew it would get your attention. So check this out. This is Arlen. This is your first million. Uh, this week was our fifth year anniversary slash birthday at Backstage Capital. And to celebrate, one of the coolest things that's ever happened in the world happened. An ice cream, a national ice cream company came to Backstage and said, we want to make an ice cream dedicated to Backstage. So Cool House, C-O-O-L-H-A-U-S. Cool House ice cream, which is like delicious, like 30 flavors. It's amazing. They have created two flavors for Backstage Capital. One flavor is called Backstage Birthday Cake, because that's awesome. The other flavor is called, wait for it, Arlen's Caramel Frap. Because I love caramel fraps. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty cool, right? So um, if you're in Los Angeles, you can pick this up right now. You can actually go to their Culver City location, wear a mask, please wear a mask, please wear a mask. Uh, and you can also just have it delivered to you. Uh, DoorDash, Postmates, Uber Eats, etc., etc. Go to do a search for Cool House, C-O-O-L-H-U-S, and look up Backstage birthday cake, which is delicious. Oh my goodness. It's like cake batter and little confetti pieces because Christy loves uh, confetti and sparkles. And then it has like a purple thing, purple icing. And it's just, oh, it's mind blowing. And then um, there is Arlen's caramel frap, which is like a coffee uh, base. And then there's caramel and there's like little bits of toffee. And it's just like, Oh my God. So thank you. Uh, you are welcome at the same time. Check it out. It's just a fun thing that we're doing. Hello, hello. It's Arlen. This is your first million. Have a brand new interview for you today that actually just recorded today. So I'm excited to be able to just take it right from Zoom right to your ears, to your earlobes. Um, not that you can hear out of your earlobes, but you know what I mean. A lot of times we'll do uh, interviews and it'll be professionally produced by my wife, Anna Aikanawa. Um, I like saying her full name. And <laughs> uh, uh she she spends a great deal of time working on those produced episodes and, and we have the mic and everything going and, you know, the, the paneling and acoustic paneling and everything in my little space. But I don't have that space yet uh, in this new room that I'm in, so I am getting that installed. And uh, so soon we'll have that back and, and it will be more of a professional setup and production, but... I just love being able to record something, pop it up online, and then you all can hear it right away. So I got to give a shout out to Anchor. Um, I use Anchor to do that. They didn't ask me to just say that, but I just I, that that's what makes it so easy for me to do this when when I decide that I'm going to produce the episode. And I'm grateful for you to uh, being here and always listening. And anyone who's new, welcome. And uh, this episode is really cool. So first of all, Christine Kinnear is just a badass. She's just a, I I feel she has a really good heart and she's um, just uh, catalyzing so many people. And 
um, I, I, I am awe-inspiring. She's awe-inspiring, and I'm uh, incredibly impressed by her work. You'll get to learn more about her work in just a moment. She also has a fantastic accent, so it's a really easy listen. And uh, yeah, I mean, let's get right into it. I want everyone um, who is uh, in the UK, especially to pay attention, but also outside of the UK, of course, um, you're going to get a lot out of this uh, episode. If you're if you're in high school, if you're in college, if you've recently left either one, or you want to, um, you know, hear about something that maybe you can relate to and you're you're well past those years. I think you're going to get a lot out of this. So I'm not going to spend too much more time. I think you should get right into the interview. It is amazing. I'm going to say goodbye to you now and I'll see you on the other side. Thank you, Christine, for being here. Uh, make sure that I'm pronouncing your name correctly and, and say your full name and your occupation, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so my name is Christine Hanea, and um, I am the founder and CEO of With Insights Education. With Insights Education. Yeah. yeah, so let's, let's jump right in. What does With Insights do and where are you located? It sounds like you might have a Brooklyn accent from what I can get. <laughs> Very far from Brooklyn. I'm in North London, England, um, and we are a not-for-profit organisation and we specialise in really closing that gap between black students going to top universities compared to their white and more affluent peers. So our social mission is to really increase the number of black heritage students going to top universities. Um, so what we do is we offer mentoring and we do work with them to build their confidence and build their knowledge and also importantly their actual ability to successfully apply to these universities. Yeah and I, I spoke got to speak to you a few uh, weeks ago I was so excited about what you do and, and definitely want to be as helpful as I can there um, and one of the reasons I wanted you on this particular podcast, this is called Your First Million, is because not only not only do we talk to people who have already made their first million, um, uh, but we also think about uh, setting people on paths to do so. Uh, yeah. and, and not that money is is the all-in marker of success, but it's one of them. And certainly uh, financial and economic inclusion and, and equality are so important to so many other things in our lives and the, the better quality of life and the longevity of life in a lot of cases. Um, and so that's why I wanted to have you on because it seems like you affect and impact a lot of people, not only who are in your program, but, but, but then later. So can we, can we break it down a little bit? Yeah. First of all, what made you want to get started with this? Like what was that, that, that launch period for you? So I've got kind of double backstory. So when I was going off to university, even though I had the grades to go to a top university, when I went on the site visits and went around campuses, I didn't see anybody that looked like me. And it just felt like too big a leap to go from a multicultural area and very mixed environment that I was used to, to suddenly being in a setting where I was acutely aware of my color and of being different. And so actually it really, it swayed my university choice. And I ended up going to a university that was more comfortable for me as opposed to a stretch university. 
And so for years, I just thought, well, I just did that. Everybody else is a bit braver than me, but I have children. And so years ago, my daughter said to me, while we were watching TV, she just dropped it into the conversation. Oh, mum, I couldn't go to Oxford or Cambridge. It's not for people like me. And honestly, Alan, it was like somebody just punched me in the gut because I had that moment of thinking, whoa, I had those thoughts because I felt I wasn't well supported at home. You know, my parents weren't so au fait with the education system. I went to a college that didn't really support me. Um, and I didn't have a big social network that had been through to university and could show me that actually I could have gone to a top university and I could have thrived. But none of those things held true for my daughter. And yet she had internalized this sense of, I'm of a certain color, so therefore I have a barrier to where I can achieve. And I just thought, no, this, this it clearly has been going on for years and years and years. Something needs to change now. Um, and I looked at the stats and the stats are appalling. They're enduring every year. Black students have the lowest entry levels to top universities. So I just feel really passionately that something has to change, that we have to better support our young people to realize that they can go to these places and that they can thrive there. Yeah, it's, it sounds, I mean, even though, you know, I don't spend a lot of time in the UK, it just sounds so familiar to, you can place that in so many different, uh, mm. you know, you can compare it to so many different things. So you saw something that didn't seem right and you wanted to change it. And I can certainly relate to that. What was your profession, I guess, maybe still is your profession outside of this work? So my background is in marketing. I started in telecoms for eight years and then prior to starting the social enterprise that I now run, I was in environmental marketing. So I'd been used to working in the charity sector um, and doing social purpose work as opposed to just working for the money, so to speak. Mm. Um, so that wasn't so much of a leap for me, but I knew what it felt like to wake up in the morning and, and be really passionate about what you're doing and the change that you're trying to achieve and that that change is about a greater good. And how long ago was this this epiphany for you? It was 2017 and it actually came after I was made redundant. So I had that space that comes from almost a shock to your system, that point of disruption, where I actually thought, well, what, what is it that I want the next 20 odd years of my career to be about? What mark do I want to leave? And this just felt really important to me. And just to, to point out, when you say made redundant, you mean that at your job you were at, uh, yeah. they they laid off people because they yeah. did something, right? And yeah. no fault of your own, but you were left like thinking, I have an opportunity now to just kind of chart my course here, even though this yeah. sucks. <laughs> I'm just doing yeah. the, the UK to, to US translation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we get sucked. So this side of the yeah. pond as well. Yeah, and it did suck. It was truly a really painful experience to go through because you, you can't help but take it personally. And I did. And it really rocked my confidence. So there was a lot of trying to build back myself mm. um, as I was also thinking about building the business as well. So I imagine, and I'd love you to talk a little bit about this, that given that and why you started working with these teenagers now who you're able to help them see themselves, the value they truly have, yeah. must be so rewarding. Can you talk a little bit about that work and, and how that feels? Yeah, so it is, I suppose the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is the relationship that I have with the young people on the program. And actually it's both my mentees who are, um, I'm gonna say A-level students, but 
in terms of making you understand what that means on your side of the pond. Um, those are people just before they go off to uni, so aged 16, 17 and 18. Sure. Um, but also increasingly now, it's, I feel that my mentors who are students from leading universities are part of my, my whole alumni family. And, and I really do care deeply for them. I meet these people and I find them so inspiring because each one of them is so full of their own promise. And being through the programs that we do run with them, you can just see these little light bulbs going off in their minds and this, their sense of self is changing and their sense of possibilities is changing. And the opportunity to be part of that, oh, it's magical. It really is. So when you say that some of your mentors are students at these universities, yeah. tell me a little bit about how this program works. How, who are matched? Yeah. yeah, so central to the program is this idea of positive role models. I call them beacons. Because I think that fundamentally, it's so difficult to imagine yourself if you can't actually see somebody who looks like you or that you can relate to in a new setting. So the way that I work is that I um, train student undergraduates from universities, predominantly black undergraduates from universities, and they become my mentors. And then they work with my A-level black heritage students from schools. Um, and that, that bond, that authenticity of the advice and the understanding that can transfer between the two is, is great. And it does make a really big difference. Yeah, that is so smart too. It's clever because a lot of times you'll see, and it doesn't mean that these are not good, too, but you'll see uh, students matched with much older mentors, yeah. people who are maybe teachers or professors or, you know, uh, otherwise. And you're talking about people, if you're matching a 16-year-old with a 20-year-old, who can just say, I was just where you were, and Absolutely. I'm going to have a better way. How does it work? Like, let's say, um, well, first of all, what are the stats? Like, how many students have gone through this or are going through this? We'll start there. So this year I've got 63 going through my A-level program. Um, and I also ran a program this year for a younger age group. So um, 13 and 14 year olds, and that was a smaller cohort. But right across the board, what we see is this huge uplift in their confidence and their understanding of the, the possibilities available to them. Um, so in terms of ultimately where they end up going to university, we placed young people in Cambridge, Durham, um, Bristol, Manchester, so all really great universities that then gives them this fantastic springboard to, to go forward from. Yeah, and what, you know, I, I, I mentioned before on this podcast that my mom, Mrs. Sims, and I, Miss um, Erling Sims, and I have um, started a, a, a scholarship at Oxford yeah. and for, the, for a Black student, that. and that's, you know, a lot of people recognize that name, and it, it makes, you know, makes sense there. We also have one for an HBCU in, in the States, mm. Dillard. What I loved about your uh, work is that you, I think you said 30 different universities you, you kind of look at. It's not yeah. all just one type or no. one kind of place to say that's not the, you know, the pinnacle. It's, it can be a lot of these places. Absolutely. Because they're individuals and you're right. Everybody on paper says, oh, Oxford and Cambridge and they're brilliant unis, but they're not for everybody. 
And what I'm really passionate about is finding the right solution for these young people. So the mentoring relationship that they have gives them the space to find what is the best fit for them. Um, because I think they need to go to a university where they're going to feel comfortable. And if they're happy and they're comfortable, then they can thrive, they can flourish, they can go off and do other things. But if they live in somebody else's idea of what good is or live into somebody else's value system and, and go into a university just because they think they should, that's going to be disastrous for them. And mm. I don't want that. I want them to feel that they've been through the programme and they've got this really fantastic, solid base. And it was 63 students the largest cohort to date? Yeah, that's our largest cohort to date. So this is our third year of running it, including our pilot year. Um, so each year we're tripling. Um, and so next year I've got high hopes for the number of young people that we can support. That's awesome. So have you, do you think you've reached 100? Um, I think including my students, yeah, we've got an alumni of 140 now, yeah. including the student mentors, which is great. That's incredible. Think about that impact, not just in that moment or in these two, four, six years, but in, you know, decades from now and in the mm. way that they're able to provide for their families and to, to yeah. dream through and inspire other people. I mean, that must be just so rewarding. Um, and what, how is the program, how does it work today? Let's say someone is listening, we have a lot of listeners in the UK and Europe, let's say someone is, is listening and they say, oh, I know someone who would be great for that, either as a, st a student or a mentor. How do they, how does the, the program itself work? Is there like an application period? Yeah, so for the A-level program, we start our application period from the end of this month right through until Christmas time. Um, and typically what I'll do is actually work through the schools um, and then use the schools as a conduit to really understand the pupils and get them to apply to the programme. But every once in a while, we do get these wildcard applications that come through the website, and I'm always happy to receive those as well. Um, and then we also work really closely with the universities, because I want the university to feel that they've got a real stake in the programme as well, because it's a real investment in their students because of the training and all the development that comes from being a mentor. Wow. What if there is someone who represents a school, uh, a level school, a university, or a corporation? A lot of people who mm. work in corporations in the UK and the US who have arms in the UK do listen to this podcast. I want them to hear this part. How do they support you? What do you need most and, and how does that work? Um, what I need most now is their connections because I'm really trying to build a really supportive network around the program and I'm so glad you mentioned corporations because that is the newest part of what we're doing this year which is actually a careers mentoring program where we go in and we train the employees to be mentors for these young people. So they're getting both support for the university application, but they're also getting that rich support to understand the world of work beyond university and what they need to be doing to prepare for that. Because I think it's, it's easy to forget that if you're from an affluent background and you've got access to these people in your family network, you know, you may well have been taken into a workplace for mum or dad's um, work day, or you may well have an aunt or uncle who can tell you how to get through an assessment centre and interviews. But for so many students, they don't have access to those unsaid rules and all of that under the carpet knowledge. So the point of the careers piece of work is to start to build up that knowledge and, and build their soft skills and awareness of all the options available to them. But in both instances, if people reach out via the website, which is withinsightedu.org, um, 
they can just drop me a line and I'd love to hear from them. Yeah. We're always looking for new partners to work with. That's with insight.edu.org. No, there's no um, before the edu. So it's with insightedu.org. With insightedu.org. Yeah. Look it up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this may be a, a kind of a different kind of question, but when you're thinking about having such an influential um, part of you know their lives, from the people in your cohort, what do you think about um, how do we how do we um, impart ethical wisdom on people? Do you do you think about that at all? Because do we want to kind of create the same old same old you know just a different package, or do we want to um, you know have a different sort of mindset of impact as they go forward? How do we think about that? I think it's really important to change the mindset or at least give them an alternative sense of what is valuable. Um, because I think that in the society that we live in now, it's so easy to just think it's all about earning a buck. But actually what I want them to understand is they should feel empowered to make decisions for themselves and that they have a really important role once they get through the process themselves to then turn around and help somebody behind them. And it, that might not be in a formal capacity within a programme, but if it is going back to school and talking to the students in the years below about their journey, that's fantastic. If it's coaching somebody in their family setting or, or an extended friend, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I have this whole idea around beacons and this idea that if we can all go forward, just setting out little lights that other people can follow, a little setting up little, little paths, that could be phenomenal. The change that we could elicit could be enormous, but everybody has a role to play with that, yeah? They, they all have to take some responsibility for accepting that they, they're in a powerful position to help influence somebody else. I mean, that's just a beautiful way of thinking about it. Um, setting, you know, because so many people think that they have to accomplish so much and to mm. impact in such a huge way. And if, if, if you think about if, if so many of those people would, would just do a little bit, you know, the, the little bit that they do is so impactful. I think how to tie that into my next question is, you mentioned earlier, that you don't feel that you had much support early on, just in general, mm. that's kind of framed how you made your decisions early on. What do you think changed to help you see the world the way you see it today? Um, you know what it is? I think that I, I grew up, when I say I didn't have much support, my parents wanted the best for me, but they were first immigration, J Jamaican immigrants over here. They were busy getting on with life. And so they, they put a lot of trust in the education system. Um, and I went to a, a further education college who, for the best within the world, you, you're just, you become a number, you just churned out. Um, and so at the same time, I had this value system that we were brought up with, which is just put your head down, work hard, don't really ask for help. And I think as I've gone out into the world and I've looked at people that have been successful, what's really apparent is that they don't do it on their own. They ask for help and to ask for help and to seek out expertise from other people, that's a sign of strength. Whereas I was brought up to think, oh, you're showing your weakness. And so the, the more that I've grown and the more experiences that I've had, the more I've come to understand that actually showing that vulnerable side of yourself 
can be a route to really engaging with people and getting them on, on board. And it isn't a sign of weakness to recognize when you're troubled within yourself and you need the extra help. It actually takes a lot of strength to do that for yourself, I think. Yeah, so it's a great thing to, to um, figure out or get, begin to figure out about yourself because it gives you mm. so much uh, room that you can do so many things, which is obvious what you, with what you do. What do you think that what you do today is what you'll be doing five, 10 years from now? Or do you think it'll, it'll have um, a different form? What, what's the, the bigger picture for you? Um, you know what, when I started it, I thought, oh, five years and then we'll be sorted. But actually that is pie in the sky stuff. <laughs> the, the, the issues that we're dealing with are so ingrained. I can absolutely see that in 10 years, there would still be a need for what I'm doing. But my hope is to one, scale it, so I'm helping a lot more young people. Um, two, to automate it so that I can, again, extend the reach beyond just our, we've got predominantly London hub. I do lots of really great work up with Manchester, but I'd love to be able to be truly national. Um, my longer term aim though, is to get to a point where I'm not needed because we naturally have a flow of young people going to these universities and it just changes the narrative. You don't have people like my daughter saying, oh, I can't imagine myself going because she'll know people that have been and they'll turn around and say, look, I did it, you can do it too. Absolutely. It's, and it's so clear vision. That, that to me mm. is what's going to make it successful. It's so clear and it makes so much logical sense. And how do you scale? How do you scale uh, to the point that you want to? What, what does that look like? Um, in terms of geographical scaling, um, I would love to open a hub up in Manchester. I see huge potential. They've got a really big um, black community there that I can see that I'd need to help. Uh, and then I'd like to go further afield as well and open another hub, probably up in Leeds or in Newcastle. Um, so that's a geographical reach. What this whole lockdown has really proved to me though is that the world can exist online. Um, and so for me really is about putting more and more of our resources online, doing podcasts, getting messages out to a, like a broadcast view. So even though we might not be able to host everybody on the program, I can still extend our reach because I think it is about exposure. Hmm. Um, you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, or you don't have to do it online. I just have it. What is, um, you know, two or three years from now, you've been around for three years, the next three years, do you know the cost to, to, to build it the way you want to? What I'm trying to do is, I know that there are certain people listening, including, you know, myself, of course, but certain people listening who might say, you know, I want to chip in to make you your that thing happen. Do we mm -hmm. know a total cost or a yearly cost to to keep this going? Great question. So my costings for this current year, um, um, I definitely see this year as the year that I start to, to spike our growth. So I need enough money to take on somebody new, um, automate our processes. So this year, I need to clear £50,000. Mm -hmm. um, and then for the next year, it was 80 and the year after that 100. And I think <laughs> that will be enough to give us a really solid base to grow from. You know what I would love for this what this podcast to, to have helped you do that. Uh, that would that would be a dream come true. So we will if you're listening and if if you're following to any of the categories, whether it's someone who could join the program or someone who could help catalyze the program, 
please do get in touch with me, uh, my first name at backstagecapital.com, or get in touch with Christine at her website uh, that she's listed, and let's together work on um, um, making sure that this can grow, because this is so fantastic. And so, like I said, a clear cut vision of impact that will far exceed uh, what we can see today. So is there anything else that you want to make sure that the audience is aware of or, or anything that we didn't talk about that you'd love to, to get out there? Yeah, well, I, I think that at the moment we're asking our young black students to be brave when they're choosing their universities. And I'd love to get to a point where that just comes off the table. They are so full of promise. They just need to get to the point where they have the scaffolding and the support around them so we've got equity of opportunity. Um, so anybody that wants to work with me in levelling up that playing field feel for these young people, I would love to have a chat with them. Fantastic. Let's say the website one more time since I butchered it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so it's withinsightedu.org. Fantastic. It was so, so wonderful talking to you and I appreciate all that you do and um you know i will we'll definitely kind of keep up with with what's going on we'll definitely do a yeah. check that'd be fun great thanks for your time today all right cool